0: On to my Mommy's podcast
1: This podcast is brought to you by Spar, a cool new app I found that lets you gamify behavior change to make you more likely to stick to it. And here's what I mean. You download the app for free and create an account. Then you can join or create a challenge to help you do anything from going for a walk every day, doing 20 push-ups each day, or even reading for a certain amount of time each day. To make it fun, you can challenge friends to join you and you check in each day via video to prove that you did it. If you miss a day of the challenge, you get charged a penalty and the winner takes the whole pot. So you could actually win some serious cash while getting better at a habit you want to get better at anyway. People are using this to do everything from flossing their teeth to reading each day or exercising or going to bed by 10 PM. If you want to check it out, just download the spar app from the app store and jump in. This podcast is brought to you by good culture. Good culture makes amazing cottage cheese. I know, I know, not necessarily two words you'd put in the same sentence on an everyday speaking, but theirs is awesome, I promise, even if you don't love cottage cheese, because I used to not. Basically, it's naturally fermented cottage cheese, so it's free of gums, fillers, and nasty additives, and it's packed with probiotics. And because it's made naturally, it doesn't have that weird mouthfeel that a lot of cottage cheese has. So I use it all the time in cooking and smoothies as a substitute for other types of cheese or just as a meal on the go. You can find it at Whole Foods and many other grocery stores, and it comes in yogurt-sized cups too, and those are perfect for a meal. So check them out. It's good culture, and they're available at many grocery stores. Hello, and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com, and this is going to be a super fun episode and a little bit of a deviation from all of the deep science that I've been airing lately. I am joined by my friend, Taro Isacopla, who I still hope I'm not butchering his last name, who is the founder and president of Four Sigmatic, a company that you, of course, know that I love. They make natural superfoods, especially mushroom-based drink powders. I've interviewed Taro before about the many benefits of medicinal mushrooms like chaga and cordyceps, lion's mane, and reishi. And today I get to talk to him again about a different type of mushroom and the legends surrounding it, especially relating to the Finnish interpretation of the story of Santa Claus. Taro grew up in Finland on a family farm where his relatives had been farming and foraging for generations. He also holds a degree in chemistry and a certificate in plant-based nutrition from Cornell, and he's widely regarded as an expert on all things pertaining to mushrooms, superfoods, and natural health. He's the author of two books. The first is a favorite of mine already. It's called Healing Mushrooms: A Practical and Culinary Guide to Using Adaptogenic Mushrooms for Whole-Body Health. I highly recommend it, and Today, we're going to be talking about his new book called Santa Sold Shrooms. So welcome, Taro, and thanks for being here.
0: Thanks for having me on again. I'm excited to chat.
1: It's always fun to chat. And I can't wait to jump into this story because I'm a big believer that we can learn so much from every person and every culture that we encounter. And I've, of course, already learned so much from you. And when I heard that you were publishing a book about the tradition of Santa Claus in your culture, I knew. Knew that I had to have you on and to learn more, because I would guess that many people listening are more familiar with the American interpretation of Santa dating back to, for instance, St. Nicholas. And it's funny, I've been podcasting long enough that I also want to start by saying that I know even in America, the topic of Santa can be controversial, because people disagree on whether or not they do Santa with their kids. And my goal in this episode is not, of course, to challenge anyone's family tradition or how anyone celebrates Christmas, but to learn a beautiful story from your culture. And I think this episode is actually going to answer a lot of questions I actually wondered as a kid. Like, how did St. Nick go from being a bishop, like I was told, to driving a sleigh with reindeer? (laughs) So I'm curious, let's jump in here. Like, how does the legend of Santa differ in Finnish culture?
0: Yeah, um, it's actually funny that Santa Claus is, you know, arguably the world's most famous person or the character. Um, it's celebrated by many cultures and many religions and many, you know, countries around the world. And it is definitely a blend of a lot of stuff. It's like a cross kitchen meal that has drawn influence from a lot of places. And one of these original influences is from this indigenous group of people called the Sami or the reindeer people that inhabit northern Finland, Norway, Sweden. But I think it's almost better to kind of go back in time chronologically. So a lot of the U.S. traditions, as we know, the soda Santa or the Coca-Cola Santa, were started in the New York area by the Dutch immigrants. They called um, Santa Claus Sinterklaas and it was brought to the U.S. mostly by the Dutch. And um, obviously, New York used to be called New Amsterdam and so on and so forth. And the Dutch got the tradition from the Germans. And I think I meet a lot of people, I don't know about you, that still think that Santa Claus is German. Have you heard this, heard this thing from people saying that Santa Claus is German?
1: I have. I've heard German. I've heard from Turkey. I've heard uh, Italian. I've heard it from different cultures.
0: Yeah. I, I think a lot of people think he, he's German, but it's actually, he's never, even, <laughs> that is not even close, but maybe this uh, Saint Nicholas and the name Saint, um, and they, they people think, but it's actually from Turkey, you're correct. Um, and uh, he was a Turkish bishop. So St. Nicholas was a Turkish bishop. And uh, then the Italians stole his grave and took his tradition. So they argue that he's Italian, but um, all evidence points that he was from Turkey. And St. Bishop was this character who would give people gifts and so on and so forth. And that happened around the same time as the church had also divided uh, from the... The Catholic and the Orthodox and Turkey or Constantinople, Istanbul was the home of more of the more of the Orthodox, um, and then Italy was obviously home for the Catholic Church at that point. And the Orthodox Church drew a lot of influence from um, the Slavic culture and the Russian. Obviously, if you ever go to Russia, you see how pro- prevalent that is. And and much longer than the the Saint Nicholas existed, the Slavic have uh, celebrated during exact same Christmas time is a character called Dead Moros. Dead Moros is like a wizard of winter. So if you have Russian or Ukrainian or whatever relatives, they might not even today celebrate Santa Claus. They celebrate Dead Moros. So in the Slavic culture, even still today, they celebrate this character who looks very similar, <laughs> also have a sleigh, has a magic wand, dresses up in a cape, has a beard, a pointy hat. There's a lot of similarities with... With Santa Claus and dead Moros, and and it's said to be that even this history is multiple thousands years old. That dead Moros came from the Sami people. That makes sense because they in the northern kind of Slavic culture, the Sami were semi nomadic uh, reindeer herders. So there was a lot of influence there. And and the Sami have been around at least five thousand years. So the Sami tradition of Santa Claus that we're talking today is at least five thousand years old. Um, And along the way, probably every culture from from the Slavic to the Turkish to the Italians, the German to the the Dutch, and obviously clearly the, the Americans have added their own spice to the story. But a lot of the original influences of Santa Claus come from the Sami people, and so it's it's quite a fascinating story, actually.
1: That is fascinating, and so the Sami. I'm wondering. I've seen pictures in like National Geographic and different publications of these like amazing people and these gorgeous reindeer and even like kids would be riding reindeer. Am I thinking of the right tribe?
0: Yes. Obviously like any, uh, indigenous culture or tribe, um, the tribes have slightly different traditions, but all of them have these beautiful outfits. Uh, reindeer is their key animal. So they make anything from reindeer from boots to hats to, uh, coats to, uh, using the bones for tools and stuff. So they're very crafty and, and the outfits are, Something like think of like Anna and Elsa and Frozen. So that's what the kids will probably imagine. Is how is the world of Anna and Elsa and Frozen is is very similar to the world of Sami people. So, and um, they live in this area called Lapland, and Lapland is in northern Norway, Sweden, Finland, and parts of like northwestern part of Russia. And it is it is beyond the Arctic Circle, and that is also makes sense. That's one of the only areas where these reindeers live in this domesticated reindeer. So there's no reindeers in the North pole. So the North pole theory is, it's it's a good story, but practically it doesn't really make sense because North pole is really, um, a space of ever shifting ice and it's hard to live there. And there's definitely no reindeers. There's some polar bears there, but the reindeers live in this extremely Northern area, uh, of Scandinavia and Northern Europe. So that's where the uh, Sami people mostly live. And, um, and the reindeer actually is, a key part of this whole Santa Claus story from the beginning.
1: That's fascinating. I had always wondered where the reindeer came into play because that never seemed to line up with the whole, just St. Nicholas being a Bishop. I always wondered, even as a kid, where did he get the reindeer? So that makes a lot more sense. And so basically the original character of St. Nicholas or Santa Claus was from that area.
0: Yes. And yeah, so there's no reindeers in Turkey unless there is a zoo somewhere, but, uh, so so the story actually is that the, the original Santa Claus, there was many of them. Um, the Santa Claus was a healer, a shaman, an elderly elderly person who had wisdom, who would go from village to village to heal a common ailment. So if you broke your knee and it was hurting, he would come with various herbs to heal the knee. If you had a, a flu or a cough, he would come to heal. So that's why a lot of people think the Santa Claus has lived forever because there were so many of them and it would go from a generation to generation. But in every area there was this, this healer an elder wise person who would have this beard and had this knowledge and would come and tell stories. And um, two times a year is a very special moment for uh, almost all indigenous cultures. And those are the summer solstice and the winter solstice. So when the day is the longest and when the day is the shortest and in In Lapland, this is particularly important because in the summer, there's no night. There's absolutely pretty much 24 hours of sunlight, but at winter, there's almost no sun. There's only a very small glimpse of sun kind of coming up up a little bit in the horizon and then soon after going down again. So it's a very magical time of the year. Uh, Everything is white. Uh, There's the Aurelia Borealis, so the northern lights. So the only light you really get is from the stars and the moon and the Aurelia Borealis reflecting from the snow. And there is this guy using these domesticated mammals, i.e. reindeers to travel from a village to village to heal people. And during this winter winter holiday, winter solstice, they would have this ceremony of chanting. Again, very common in in indigenous cultures of chanting, drumming, singing, and setting intentions for the new year. So um, in the old Julian calendar, now we're mostly in the Gregorian calendar, the winter solstice lines exactly with the Christmas. So a lot of the Christmas traditions are actually also winter solstice traditions from various cultures. So Christmas is basically a celebration of the new year. We think of New Year as in our calendar, but in a way from the amount of light at <laughs> the end or the start of the new year starts at the winter solstice. So that's kind of also a funny thing about Christmas is that in a way Christmas is the new year.
1: Interesting. Okay, cool. So I'm curious, are there other uh, parts of the Christmas story that can be explained through the tradition in in Lapland with the Sami people? Is What about like, for instance, other things we think of with Santa, whether it be hanging stockings or having a Christmas tree, do these things also trace back?
0: Yeah. And here's where it kind of starts to get crazy. So basically, um, for the Sami people, they believe that the pineal trees, so the pine and the spruce tree, spruce tree is part of the pine, pine family, um, are holy. And they are like the world tree. And funny enough, that is now our Christmas tree. And the red ornaments, the red balls are actually this particular mushroom called Amanita muscaria. And Amanita muscaria is actually the world's most famous mushroom, second to none. But nobody really knows it. But it is the mushroom emoji. So if you ever put an emoji on your phone or computer that is Amanita Muscaria. Um, if you also, kids play Super Mario and they jump and get that red mushroom, that is Amanita Muscaria. It's also in multiple, multiple pop culture references from Jefferson Airplanes, White Rabbit, to Disney, to Alice in the Wonderland. It comes up multiple, multiple times. And if you go to the old photos, even from the German time of Christmas time, or as they called it, Yuletide it's still visible that the, the thing hanging from the tree was not a red ball, but it was this mushroom, Or and kids would be holding this mushroom. So if you look at old Christmas images, this mushroom is everywhere. And it grows under the spruce tree, so it grows under this pine family tree. And then in order to dry it, because it's fresh and you kind of collect it during the summer and early fall, you have to sun dry it. So what the shaman would do is take all these mushrooms from the ground under the trees and put it on the tree branches so sun would dry it. And sun drying any mushroom actually increases vitamin D as well. So mushrooms can build vitamin D from when they're sun dried. But in this case, they also makes them easy to store because you remove the, the water and dried mushrooms can last a long time versus fresh mushrooms can last a very little time. So that way, that's how we got our red ornaments on the Christmas tree. And the star on top of the Christmas tree is related to the Polaris, which is the brightest star is the constellation. It's almost the GPS and the navigation system for the, for the Sami people. So that's why there's a star on the top. It, it serves as a very ceremonial, very sacred reason for this particular star. And the, my favorite part about this story is the chimney. Because <laughs> that's, I think, also something that doesn't really make sense. Like, why would Santa come from the chimney? Like, Santa doesn't fit through the chimney. But it's such a key part of the story, isn't it? So um, so actually, the Sami people live in these massive teepees, semi-permanent teepees made out of moss and cloth and whatnot. And um, think of them like a yard almost, but not made out of wood necessarily. And they live in these teepees and because it's extremely cold there, there's a fire in the center. So the teepees is open from the top so the smoke can go away. And during the winter solstice time, it's not rare at all that there will be suddenly many inches, if not many feet of snow suddenly come and the, the small entrance to the teepee gets blocked by snow. So the secondary exit or an entrance was always through the roof of the teepee or as as, as the Sámi call it, kota. And so it was just normal that during that time of the year, you would enter and exit sometimes through the roof or the chimney so to say so santa claus or this healer shaman would come and would travel with these reindeers to hold the ceremony of chanting and sitting and setting intentions it would enter to the chimney exit through the chimney and that all is kind of like roots back to those reasons there's really no no other explanation today why the santa claus would come from the chimney
1: Wow, that is so interesting. What about uh, things like, for instance, elves and stockings? Are those just part of the current lore that we've created the legend, or was there? Did that exist as well?
0: Yeah, um, the elves are actually a funny one. Um, it's 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 actually a mix of few different traditions. So in the Finnish and Swedish culture, we have these Tömten, uh, these little elves, kind of almost separate uh, from the Santa Claus story. And these elves observe. People and they live in people's saunas and barns and they look at people and they help people in need. Um, if people are nice. So this is even still today. Um, in Finnish, for example, these Tomten are called Christmas elves. They basically live with the families. And of course, how does the Santa know who's on the nice and naughty list? Um, it's with the help of these little elves. But funny enough, over time, these traditions are always added. Like I said, Christmas and Santa Claus is a blend of so many traditions throughout the way. But for example, in the Roman times, one day of the year, the, the slaves could uh, become masters and masters would become slaves. Um, and and the, the person who was the master could be recognized. The slave or the person helping assistant would have, be recognized by this pointy hat. So along the way, there's also been other cultures that have added to the elf story. It was not originally exactly part of the the Sami part, but it was part of the Nordic culture of having these elves. And they just blend it together. And then the Dutch added their own flavor. They have their own story of the same thing. But the elves come from, from these mystical creatures. So many indigenous cultures, including most of the Nordic pe- um, cultures, also beyond the Sami, believed in various elves and fairies and things like that. And this is just one of those things that we believe that there were elves that were watching us and helping us if we behave well. And over time, it just blended with the Santa story.
1: I love that. We never did that elf on the shelf, but I love the idea of like a little elf that could live in our sauna. And that's a great plan. Um, So I'm curious, what does the modern day, it seems like there's such rich culture and tradition. What is the modern day celebration of this time of year and of Christmas look like in Finland?
0: Yeah. So I think that's the beauty. I think There's a dark side to Christmas today is how it's been so commercialized and how things are fed that we have to always buy this cheaply and fast-produced toys for our kids and spend money on commercial purposes. And that kind of loses the magic, the original real magic of Christmas. Uh, But if you go back to almost any of these original traditions and, and how it's still today celebrated in Finland, some of the themes are very similar. So it doesn't matter if you're in Turkey in Germany or um, in Finland, traditions are to quiet down. So Christmas is very much, and Santa Claus is very much a time of peaceful, quiet reflection. So it's more of a family celebration than maybe the summer solstice, which is midsummer party in Finland and Sweden is very much a celebration of, of friends as well. So in the summertime, everybody comes together, the whole village celebrates together versus In the winter solstice time, it's more just within the family. So it's a time of being quiet. There are various um, hot beverages that are consumed, partly because it's cold outside and people get sick easily. Um, There is Santa Claus who lives in the North Pole, but actually doesn't. There's there's a mountain in Finland, they say, that he's actually originally from and on the border of Russia and Finland. And uh, he brings gifts to the kids and you can write him. He has his own village in Lapland that you can visit throughout the year. And, uh, but I think the real magic of Christmas is definitely quieting down, kind of reflecting on the past year, um, taking candles to graves. So also the Sami, what was important about the winter solstice tradition was to the, the shaman would help sometimes do chanting and communicating with relatives who've already died. And in Finland today, that's celebrated mostly by taking candles to to the graves of your relatives. So like, for example, I would take a candle to my grandmother's grave and kind of celebrate her memory through that time of the year, particularly. And it looks kind of beautiful. You go to a cemetery and it's full of little candles everywhere. So that's still part of the Christmas tradition. And obviously, Finland, like any culture, has been solely and solely commercializing. So... Some of those old traditions are slowly moving away. But at best time, it's a time with the family, the sauna, there's hot beverages, there's time to member past relatives and kind of setting your intentions for the next year and possibly gifting other people. And the gifts are under the Christmas tree. So for us, we put the, we put the gifts under the Christmas tree because that's where the original, the mushroom also grew. But in more of the Anglo-Saxon culture, it's often on stockings. Because that was another place how, how you could dry these mushrooms is that you would take them back to your hut and you would dry them by the fire. So that's the other way how you can dry these mushrooms as well.
1: That's so, so interesting. And I love um, I love that you have written this down in a story that's so fun to read. It's a fun one to read with kids. And I feel like it's a beautiful thing to add to Christmas tradition just to learn from other cultures and from history. And so just remind me real quick, the name of the book and where people can find it if they're listening and they actually want to read the full story and get into the details.
0: Sure. So I wrote the book called Santa Salt Shrooms. And it tells a story about a 10-year-old little girl whose father tells her a bedtime story. And the girl is super uh, curious or uh, nosy and starts asking a lot of questions about like, exactly around these themes. And then the story goes deeper and he has these beautiful illustrations so it's it's almost like a, a children's book that is also very suited for adults uh, and tells a story through the eyes of this little girl and you can buy it for example on Amazon that's probably one of the easiest places to buy it and um, or on our website at this point and few select retailers but um, yeah it's available this season and it's a great gift for your friends and family it's also really funny and I think it's just something that everybody should know about not just with Christmas particular because it's such a major holiday and Santa Claus is such a notable character. But I think in general for your children and for yourself, it's sometimes good to remind why we celebrate what we celebrate. Be it Cinco de Mayo. That's a lot of people think it's a Mexican independence day or talk about Thanksgiving or Easter or whatever it may be. It's just good to educate yourself and your children on the history. And if you end up celebrating it or not, That's, that's been your decision, but at least the knowledge of that. It's hard to believe that any kid would grow up without knowing about Santa. So maybe it's better that they know, (laughs) grew up knowing about Santa's history and roots a little deeper. And, And this book is a fun story way, uh, to learn about the different elements of Santa in the eyes of a, of a young child like themselves.
1: Absolutely. And I'll make sure those links are in the show notes for anybody who's driving or running right now. But I think there's something else that is amazing to learn from the Finnish culture and their traditions over the winter, which is how to stay healthy and how to keep the immune system strong. Because as you were talking about how they have almost no sunlight and it's so cold, I just think like they had probably more of an uphill battle of just staying healthy in such cold and our conditions. So I'd love if you could speak to that from having grown up there and having learned from that culture. What are some things we can then take and implement even in America to help stay healthy through the holidays? Because all too often we hear of people being sick over the holidays or cold and flu season. So what can we learn from from your culture about that?
0: Yeah, that's a great one. Because I think this also relates to not just the immunity season and the holidays, but we can often learn from people who grow up in extreme conditions or who live extreme lives and pick up some of the wisdom that they've had to accumulate just to survive. And for example, you can learn a lot from professional athletes on, on how to fuel your body and energize doesn't mean that we who are not professional athletes need to exactly copy. it, But since their requirements in their own work last passion are so demanding, they've had to figure out some stuff. So in this case, Finnish people live in a, an environment where there's extreme cold and there's almost no sun, so we've had to figure out some fundamentals that I think also work really well. I now live in California, and even though there's a lot of sun, a lot of people are still, um, actually majority of people are still vitamin D deficient. So vitamin D is one of those easy answers. Um, you can get it, obviously, as a supplement. Um, in Finnish culture, it's a lot. I mentioned mushrooms, but mushrooms um, share a lot of DNA with animals and humans. And they can also create vitamin D2 on their skin, same way as we can generate vitamin D through our skin. So having sun-dried mushrooms um, is a really great way also to supplement vitamin D during the season. But vitamin D in general is quite, quite important. Then having the right minerals, be it using various broths or um, other mineral sources. Um, salt is a big part of salty fish or whatever but sea salt and bone broths, other things like that, that really provide us with the minerals, um, certain minerals be I don't know, zinc and other things like that, really keep your body healthy during that season. The other thing that we really love to do is, obviously I kind of mentioned it already, sauna. And then the sauna is combined by a dip, a polar bear dip into the frozen lake or ocean or rolling in the snow, depending where you are. But the hot cold therapy, and I know you've experimented with this and you've talked about it, there's quite compelling evidence on the health benefits of sauna, both for cardiovascular health, um, but also, you know, protecting for immunity as well. So obviously, like if you're sick at that moment, sauna might not be the best idea at that point. But in the Finnish culture, even kids are born in a sauna because it's it's the most hygienic place back, back, back in the day because you have to get birth and you couldn't go to hospital. Where would you do it? Well, a sauna doesn't have any bacteria. So that would be the spot. Basana and washing yourself and cleansing and sweating is really good for you. And then combine that with the cold part where your body will really build these, build its immune system with the shock from the cold therapy. Brown fat, for example, is there's quite interesting research on, on, on just the brown fat. A lot of kids have excess brown fat and they thought that adults can build it. But now they know that with this, like cold plunges and cold therapy, um, you can actually build brown fat. And brown fat is the fat that protects your body from various ailments as well. So it's the good kind of fat, brown fat. And uh, so that's obviously something to be mindful. And then I think various herbal teas and decoctions and mushroom teas as well, like the chaga mushroom that is very high in antioxidants, particularly SOD can keep you healthy. Nettle is another very prominent Nordic superfood. Uh, Rhodiola rosea, which is an um, adaptogenic root, also great for energy during the winter time. And then a lot of the berries and the polyphenols that can be found in berries, such as bilberries, which are wild blueberries, sea buckthorn. Uh, but there's a lot of these polyphenols and color pigments found in mush- uh, in both mushrooms and berries that really seem to protect the body from from various issues that also get highlight it during the immunity season when your kids go to school and everybody's get sick and whatnot. I've been lucky enough not to be sick one day for almost um in next month, eleven years. So it's kind of a magical thing, but it takes a lot of work. Um, uh, but also a lot of these immunity protecting routines also help with your general energy and well being. So sauna doesn't just help with immunity or the cold plunge isn't just but it also helps the cold plunge can help burn fat and Provide calming function and other things like that. So, there's a lot of reasons why and take a leave from the from the book of the Sami and the Finns just for general wellness as well.
1: Absolutely, and you're so right. I'm a huge fan of the sauna. In fact, I am headed there as soon as we wrap up this episode. But I also love that you highlighted the different warm beverages because it makes total sense when you're living in a snowy culture. That would be something you would turn to often. But even I don't live in a very cold culture, but it's something I really implement more and more in the winter, especially with kids, because with six of them, if one gets sick, it just kind of spreads and it's a multi-week thing to get everybody then back to being healthy. And if I'm remembering from our first episode, you explained how, for instance, like chaga mushrooms, I believe are the most antioxidant rich source on the planet, if I'm remembering correctly, and they have more antioxidants than chocolate or blueberries or carrots. So they're very immune supporting. Am I remembering that right though?
0: Yeah, obviously- that's gram per gram taga is the highest source of antioxidants. Um, so it's a great base for brats or coffee or just drinking by itself in the wintertime. Um, there are also other mushrooms that are incredibly high in antioxidants. I think it was uh Penn State's that mycology department made a study and figured out that the most antioxidant rich food they found was uh was a mushroom. So there's a there's a lot of antioxidants in these mushrooms, and I also like I said a lot in berries, but chaga is one of the highest. Generally speaking, a lot of these black foods, so coffee, chaga, black olives, cacao, those are really good for um, like longevity and immunity. So black colibacmans are usually tends to be exceptionally good, and chaga is an extremely black black food. So.
1: Yeah, I love that. I don't think we often think of black foods as being one of the colors we should consume. But every time we talk about like the colors and foods, I'm reminded of my great grandmother who lived to be well into her 90s. And that was pretty much the only rule she followed in what she ate or drank or consumed is that she wanted a lot of different colors on her plate. Um, which back then, of course, there weren't as many processed foods. So she wasn't talking about blue food dye. She was talking about beets and turmeric and like things that were brightly colored. And -hmm. I think it had a big impact on her health, just the variety, but also those foods in general, like things that have bold pigments, typically have benefits that are associated with them, right?
0: 100%. So all antioxidants are color pigments, but not all color pigments are antioxidants. But generally speaking, like eating a lot of color is good for you. So... I would highly recommend adding various colors. And, and even that's a great way if you look at within a food group, how nutrient dense it let's take dark leafy greens. And when you get those really dark green, almost purpley salads, they tend to be a lot more nutrient dense than the, the iceberg lettuce that is more or less white. Um, sure, there's exceptions of foods that are incredibly nutrient dense that are not as brightly colored, but it is definitely a, a good indicator of possible nutrient density.
1: For sure, and I'd love if you could speak a little bit to just the different types of um, mushrooms and their role in immunity and how they can be uh, used, especially with children, because I think kids are seem the most likely to get sick this time of year. And I know, just on a practical level, um, my kids love like the chaga, for instance, or they love the hot chocolate with reishi at night, which helps them sleep. But are there other ones that can be beneficial for children as well?
0: Yeah, mushrooms actually do serve a big part in immunity of the forest and the nature as well. So what mushrooms do is they they really are the immune system of the forest, and a lot of these top mushrooms. no, not all mushrooms are good for you, but the top mushrooms tend to grow on trees, and they really serve these immunomodulating benefits. So, immunomodulation is when something helps support the balance of the immunity. So, there are immunostimulants like let's say garlic and and echinacea and those things, and those are things that give if you're sick, but they stimulate the immune system. So. Unfortunately, now more and more people have an overly stimulated immune system, and that kind of is a root for, let's say, autoimmune disorders and whatnot. Is when your immune system is hyperactive. But things that mushrooms are—they're immunomodulators. So if your immune system is low, it's going to boost it. If it's hyperactive, it's going to calm it down. And, and kids, when they're super young, obviously you want them to get sick and build their own immune system. But but really, once once they're toddlers or uh, older, there's they really should start building these tools or nutrients to build their own immune system. So mushrooms kind of support nutrition for your cytokines and macrophages and your internal immune system. And, and out of the mushrooms, what I recommend for kids is you already kind of called it out, but the reishi mushroom, the queen of mushrooms is, is really the best mushroom for both adults and children to start with. Uh, we, for example, make like a healthy hot cocoa with it, uh, cinnamon hot cocoa and reishi is more grounding and calming. So besides just helping with immunity, it can also help with occasional stress and calm down. If the kids are hyper in the evening, hopefully they'll go to sleep sooner or sleep deeper and uh, wake up more energized and be more focused the next day. Um, so that's a great one. Chaga is also a good one, if, especially during the immunity season. And then I really like turkey tail and shiitake as well uh, for kids. We, for example, may we use a turkey tail and reishi on a, on a caffeine-free chai. That's also a good evening time drink. It's good for the gut. So turkey tail is very good for the gut, but also good for the immunity. So those are just maybe couple to highlight. And then cooking with shiitake mushrooms. Shiitake is also one of the most cultivated mushrooms in the world and one of the most studied mushrooms in the world. So second most cultivated after the button mushroom and second most studied after the reishi. So shiitake is also quite a safe bet for kids uh, for general wellness and uh, and immunity.
1: I love that. This podcast is brought to you by Spar, a cool new app I found that lets you gamify behavior change to make you more likely to stick to it. And here's what I mean you download the app for free and create an account. Then you can join or create a challenge to help you do anything from going for a walk every day, doing 20 push ups each day, or even reading for a certain amount of time each day. To make it fun, you can challenge friends to join you, and you check in each day via video to prove that you did it. If you miss a day of the challenge, you get charged a penalty, and the winner takes the whole pot, so you could actually win some serious cash while getting better at a habit you want to get better at anyway. People are using this to do everything from flossing their teeth to reading each day or exercising or going to bed by 10 p.m. If you want to check it out, just download the SPAR app from the App Store and jump in. This podcast is brought to you by Good Culture. Good Culture makes amazing cottage cheese. I know, I know, not necessarily two words you'd put in the same sentence on an everyday speaking, but theirs is awesome, I promise, even if you don't love cottage cheese, because I used to not. Basically, it's naturally fermented cottage cheese, so it's free of gums, fillers, and nasty additives, and it's packed with probiotics. And because it's made naturally, it doesn't have that weird mouthfeel that a lot of cottage cheese has. So I use it all the time in cooking and smoothies as a a substitute for other types of cheese, or just as a meal on the go. You can find it at Whole Foods and many other grocery stores, and it comes in yogurt-sized cups too, and those are perfect for a meal. So check them out. It's good culture, and they're available at many grocery stores. Speaking of cooking, I'm so I'm always so curious because of my background in nutrition and um, just all the recipes I've developed over the years. I'm so curious what um, the winter food culture looks like in such a cold environment, because I know in America, we kind of miss the mark about eating seasonally, and we Pretty much just eat whatever we want all year round, but I feel like so many other cultures have this beautiful wisdom in eating with the seasons. I'm just curious what that looks like in such a cold place where I would guess it's actually difficult to find a lot of different foods.
0: Yeah, I think um, I think there's a lot of debate in the nutrition industry. should you eat animal products? should you not? how much plants if the lectins are good yada yada yada. And I think the two themes that often get overlooked that should have a lot more conversation around uh, nutrition, health and wellness is one is quality. And I know you're a big proponent of that. Eating a tomato and eating a tomato are not the same thing. But the second thing is what you just mentioned is seasonality. Seasonality is everything. If we assume that we should eat the same way the whole year, I think we're delusional. Our bodies are meant to have seasons. Our bodies are, we are great at adapting. So we can have one season a year round. I think optimally that's not the case. And just so you know, even if you live in a place where weather is fairly consistent and you don't have a weather-wise seasons, you have seasons in your life. You have busy periods. You have less busy periods. You have periods when you're resting. There's periods when you're growing. And in a place like Finland, that's forced by the nature. That's not by choice. It's by just purely by the weather and availability of ingredients. And obviously today, you can buy any ingredient, any place, any time. But in its truest sense... Finland has very clear four seasons and those four seasons are very different in diet. And I think there's, there's a, there's a lesson to be learned here. So for example, the springtime is a time of detox. We're also tempted of juice detoxes and whatever detoxes a few times a year. But, but in, in Finland, when dandelion comes and um, it's one of the first things to kind of pop out after the winter, it's something that we're meant to eat for a month, two months. Dandelion is not meant to be eaten year round necessarily. But during that time, it's a great liver detoxificator. So spring is a time of cleansing. It's a time of like cleansing from the winter, purifying your body, purifying your blood. Maybe there's a fast there. Obviously, uh, a lot of the Easter and those celebrations also, like carnival, uh, also was combined with the fast. So carnival, eating meat and celebrating was combined with, with the fasting period. So that's also pretty popular in multiple cultures. Um, summer is a time when you have a lot of these fresh berries and fruits. So there's a, there's a period there where you might be heavier on carbs, you eat a little lighter, and you have a lot of hydrating foods, foods that keep your water levels up as it's a little warmer and your body needs more of the cooling things. And then in the fall time, when it's harvest season, you kind of bulk up, you go for maybe some of the root veggies and you go heavier there because those are fresh in season. Um, some tubers and other things like that. And then the wintertime, which is kind of the fascinating is there's really no growing. So nothing can be grown. So a lot of fermented foods, which are also great for immunity. So be it the sauerkrauts and different pickles. So fermented foods during the winter is something really to maybe maybe you go a little heavier on. Because summertime, you can roll in the grass and dirt and you can get good bacteria on your skin externally. But in the wintertime, it's maybe better to get it internally. So fermented foods, I mentioned the salty fishes. There's a lot of, I mentioned bone broths. There's a lot of stews, things like that. And a lot of more of the root vegetables and meat. So in historically, like winter was more meat heavy and summer was not really meat heavy at all. So there would be the seasonality of when do you have, for example, animal products and when you have maybe a little less of them. So the idea that our diet would be consistent 12 months of the year is I think. That's, that's not really an ideal place. So if you're listening to this and you are not forced external seasons in your, in your, in, in your location, maybe think of what are your seasons uh, in your life. When are you busiest? Maybe when you're really busy, you got really a really full body in a way that gives you energy. And maybe when it, there's time to relax, maybe you go off of caffeine, maybe you do a fast, maybe you cleanse a little differently to be ready for the next busy season. So I think there's something really to be learned on seasonal eating and and in Finland, especially wintertime, fermented foods, brats, stews, warm beverages, those are some of just some of the fundamentals that everybody would be
1: having. I agree. Those are all we know now. Basically, they're very objectively beneficial foods for all the different compounds they contain. And it sounds like it's a much lower consumption of sugar and processed foods as well, which are more the mainstays of the American diet over the holidays. And I'm sure that alone makes a tremendous difference in the immune system and in people not getting sick in that really the really cold winter like that.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. There's, I mean, almost any. More traditional culture would have had very limited amount of processed foods or processed sugars, particularly. Um, but it's not a carbohydrate scared because you're so cold and in cold weather, you actually your metabolism gets, gets, um, ramped up. So you actually need more calories to stay warm. Your body needs to consume energy. And that's why you kind of bulk up in the harvest season in the fall to kind of have the fat percentage <laughs> to go through the winter, but. Definitely, like berries and certain root vegetables, starchy vegetables can also be part of part of a certain part of the year. It doesn't mean that you eat fruits and veggies and starchy starches throughout the whole year, but there's definitely a period when you're kind of heavier on those those carbohydrates and natural forms of sugar. And I think for kids, especially, and their eyes and and these polyphenols and these berries are incredibly powerful. And again, as a percentage, they have sugars, but it's a smaller amount. And they come with fibers and other things like that. So it's so is definitely not scared of. There's not a scare of carbohydrates or fats. Both are very prevalent, but it's just very seasonally go through those things versus consuming them every day, 12 months of the year.
1: Exactly. So much we can learn. I love it. And I'll make sure we have links to everything we talked about in the show notes, um, both on the mushroom side and the link to the book, and also I'll link to the post I've written in the past about keeping the immune system strong throughout the winter and remedies that I always keep on hand with kids. But Tara, you're always so fun to talk to. This has been so much fun and so informative. And I would encourage everyone listening to check out the book. It's a really fun book to read with kids. And also, of course, everyone knows that all of the Four Sigmatic products are favorites of ours in our house. And so I would encourage everyone to check all of those out. But thank you so much for your time. This was a blast.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on again. And hopefully somebody got inspired to Google the Sami people and read up more on, on the Santa story and hopefully get the book as well. It's quite a funny one. And if if nothing else, go to the sauna in, uh, in Christmas time with your family and have a hot cup of something.
1: Absolutely. I love that. And thank you to all of you for listening and sharing your most valuable resource of your time with us today. And I hope that you'll join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Lama podcast.